Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We have a really special episode this week. We're joined by Colin Gladell, who writes for the Daily Telegraph as well as Artnet. Colin was in the sale room at Sotheby's last week when the Banksy famously self-destructed. Everyone's talking about it, not just in the art world, outside the art world. Everyone's coming up to me asking about it. What's the latest? What happened? What does it mean? How much is it worth? Colin was actually there in the sale room at Sotheby's. He tells us exactly how it went down and what the reaction was like from everyone in the sale room. He thinks he may have seen Banksy during the sale, as well as right afterwards, being hustled off by security. So we get into that and even touches on a conspiracy theory as to what actually happened there. We also discuss the major auctions that happened during last week, during Freeze Week, at Sotheby's, Christie's, and Phillips. Well, who were some of the big winners? Who were some of the big losers? What are the ramifications of that? the results? Where is the state of the art market right now? The auctions tend to be great barometers for that. So we had a great conversation with Colin, and we hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're here with Colin Gladell, art market columnist for the Daily Telegraph, and also art market reporter for Artnet. The first major auctions of the season occurred last week in London during Freeze Week, and Colin's nice enough to join us to discuss and help us analyze the sales. Colin, thanks so much for coming on. Hi, Adam. Nice to talk to you. So I think it's only natural for us to start with the most talked about event of the auctions, the kind of self-destructing Banksy painting. You were actually there in the sale room at Sotheby's, uh, the last lot of the sale when it occurred. I guess before we get into too many of the details of what it might mean and kind of who was behind it, I guess, can you describe for us the scene uh, there in the sale room and what it was like as it unfolded? Yeah, sure. Um, Okay, as you say, it was the last lot in in the sale. Uh, Usually the last lot, you know, people have left the sale room. And in this case, this was uh, uh, no exception. A lot of people had already left. Um, The last three lots were by Damien Hurst, Hawes, and Banksy. And they don't appeal to um, quite a lot of people who had been at the sale. So half the sale room had really emptied out. A lot of the journalists had left the floor uh they were out at the back talking interviewing people um i stayed because uh i've been following the banksy market a bit and somebody who deals in banksy told me that this one was going to take off and the reason he said it was going to take off was because it was a unique uh painting and not one of the additioned uh versions of this girl with balloon and um so i uh I hung on and uh, sure enough, there he was, he, my, my friend, he was bidding on on the banks. He went over, he went over double the estimate to about 700 and then stopped. And there was a lot of bidding on the phone. It was going so fast um, that eventually it stopped uh, 1 million pounds, including premium. The hammer came down. Um, and there was the usual round of applause from all the staff. They get up and clap at the end of the sale. Um, uh, and um, the auctioneer, Oliver Barker, at that point had to reintroduce one of the lots from the Tiga sale. Only one of them had BI'd, and he was going to reintroduce it at the end of the sale uh, so he could complete a 100% sale on the, on, on the, on the David Tiga collection. Um, and just as he was doing that, 
um, the picture started falling out, the Banksy started falling out of the frame, and it was placed at such a point. It, I thought it was an unusual place for, for it to be hanging, um, or hanging at all, because usually in the auction, only the big pictures are hanging, the little ones go up, uh, the porters show them in, at the front of the sale. And this was a, basically a small picture, and it had a heavy frame on it, but it would have been normally shown at the front of the sale. But there it was, it was hanging behind the, the bidding desk and just next to an exit where the sale room staff could come in and out quickly. And and there it was. And as uh, um, Barker was uh, uh, reintroducing this previously unsold lot, the picture started sliding out of the, the frame uh, downwards. And people started looking and getting up and photographing it. And then an alarm went off and uh, all hell let loose. Uh, everybody was laughing, running. Um, and uh, at that point, um, Barker carried on with his bidding. He got, he got his white glove sale. He got the piece away. And, and he made light of the event, saying, uh, you know, uh, you couldn't make this up, could you? And so he, at that, at that point, you were wondering whether who had instigated this event. You know, the, the, the Banksy was being shredded as it happens. There was a shredding machine had been inserted into the frame. And so uh, uh, potentially uh, with most art, if that happened, it would be immediately devalued. And one wondered whether any of the bidders, certainly the, the underbidder I spoke to after the sale, had no idea this was going to happen, or indeed that it had happened until quite a long time afterwards. Um, at that point, I um, went downstairs to, to talk to people as they were exiting the sale room. And there was uh, this guy in a white beret um, who had been accosted by the security staff. And it was quite a sort of heavy confrontation they were having. There must have been four or five guys in black uh, surrounding this guy with the white berry and a gold earring um, who was complaining, saying, I want to see the manager. I want to, you can't, I haven't done anything wrong. And um, uh, they just closed him off and took him away. And so uh, I thought, hey, that guy, I, I've never seen Robin Gunningham, who, who is supposed to be Banksy, this guy, Robin Gunningham. Uh, I've seen pictures of him uh, probably, you know, 20 years ago. But um, I thought, hey, this, this could be him. That could be, um, that could be Banksy. Maybe he's been stopped because he's carrying some kind of device which set off uh, the shredding machine. And the security guys um, are just doing their job, you know, they're, they're hauling him in because, um, uh, yeah, they have heavy security there. And so um, at that point, uh, uh, he was taken off. I went back upstairs to the press conference where Sotheby's uh, staff um, said that they had no knowledge of that this event was going to happen. Uh, but we all began thinking, we in the press began thinking, this is a pretty good PR <laughs> event, isn't it? Uh, it's going to go viral. And um, 
which is what what happened. Uh, so uh, the, the, I think that um, the court is still out on a whether anyone at Sotheby's knew this was going to happen. How come it was placed in that convenient position? How come it was the last lot in the sale where it wasn't going to interfere with any other bidding? Um, there are all ki- all kinds of things sort of stacked up to the, that it was quite a, a clever PR stunt, which somebody at Sotheby's um, had probably uh, given permission to. But we, we don't know uh, um, whether any of the bidders knew, the one bidder I knew didn't know, and we don't know whether the eventual, who who eventually bought uh, the piece was. Um, there some quite interesting theories have cropped up. I can just tell you about quickly. Um, the one I like most is that um, um, Oliver Barker, the auctioneer, is, uh, as we all know, uh, Damien Hurst's favorite auctioneer. He conducted the two or the three major sales uh, um, consisting entirely of his work, including the one in which, uh, sort of like 10 years ago, Hurst bypassed all the dealers, the beautiful sale. And... Um, and cleaned up. Um, so uh, he's up for any kind of um, tactic that, that Damien might suggest. The, the, the other thing is that Damien uh, and Banksy are old mates. I think Banksy used to rent a studio off Damien. And they probably confer from time to time about something interesting or creative they might do. Um, um, the record price for a, a, a Banksy previously was the Red Auction in New York, where um, it was a collaborative piece between Hearst and, and Banksy. Um, and so it began to occur to me anyway that um, maybe with Damien's uh, um, friendship with Oliver Barker, that maybe... Um, Ollie did actually know that something was up. Maybe that there, there was a, a surprise in store, and that's why he conducted the auction so coolly at the end. I think uh, a, a more conservative auctioneer um, might have been a bit more alarmed when they saw uh, a picture disappearing out of the frame in pieces. Um, but he just carried on regardless and laughed it off and and. Um, so that was that. Um, you're probably going to ask me about the price. Well, that was really insightful to hear what it was like in the sale room. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really interesting. It's you know, it's this storyline is now not limited to the art world. You know, everyone. I'm sure it's the same with me. I'm sure it's with you. Everyone you speak with the last couple of days, even outside the art world, wants to ask about it. And I think it's it's kind of interesting because you know, as you said, the painting was located in the sale room not all not all works in an auction are hung in the sale room. only a select number are and it was the last lot and you know the shredder within the frame the painting was made in 2006 but the shredder the battery from the shredder presumably operates on a battery didn't die so it's i assume that was recently installed in the frame so there's all these coincidences that makes you think um you know maybe sotheby's uh knew about it and the fact that they didn't detect um, the shredder in a frame when they were inspecting it, when they were consigning it. But 
like you said, they denied it. And uh, it's inter- I think it's interesting also that underbidder, the underbidder you know, said that they didn't know about it. So it seems almost, I don't know if unethical is the right word, but it seems odd that they would, uh, you know, Sotheby's would be in on it and, you know, allow existing clients to think that they had a chance to win this artwork. And then maybe if one of them had, it would have been shredded. Um, I don't know. So it's, yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty interesting, uh, the whole, you know, who is involved and to what extent. But uh, I guess you, as you said, it's still to be determined. No one really knows all the deep facts yet. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, something that, that may never come out. Uh, um, but people will be questioning the, the exact circumstances of what took place. Um, what to me is is um, curious and a bit annoying about the whole event was really it it uh, took everybody's mind off the whole freeze week. It's like one a small event, one artist who has basically. I mean, you wouldn't find a Banksy in the freeze art fair. N- nobody would handle it, you know. So he's kind of like an outsider in the in, in the art world. And yet here he is, he's upstaging everybody uh, right within their own um, territory. And so all the media is subsumed with the, with, with the shredding Banksy. And, you know, on, only an hour before, we've had a world record price for a woman artist, a living woman artist, Jenny Savile, like 9.5 million for this um, iconic, if I can use that word, uh, uh, painting from the early 90s which was really the the, the story um but banksy took the headlines well let's jump into these uh sales a little bit because um, i think they're really good barometer as we begin the art season to really understand where the market is at the moment um so why don't maybe we'll start with sotheby since that's where the banksy sale occurred um Looking at the sale as a whole, um, it featured a lot of British artists from the Tigre estate. So, yeah, who were some of the biggest winners that night from the Sotheby's sale? What were some of the major takeaways in your view? Sotheby's came came out pretty well from the evening. If we if we just forget about the Banksy for a moment, um, they they came out pretty well. I mean, um, they hadn't set their sights very high. Um, I think they were. Uh, 30, something like 36 million uh, for the Tiger and 34 for the uh, mixed owner sale. I mean, that was pretty much on target. You know, the, the, the market looked pretty strong. And for the exceptional things, uh, the, there were exceptional prices like the, the Jenny Savile. I mean, the Tiger sale, uh, you're going to get bigger uh, uh, and a more varied selection in New York. Um, I think the, the 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 works that were shown in London were very much aimed. Um, there was a lot of British artists, um, Babel, Herman Anderson, um, Chris Lee, a great piece. Didn't spark off a lot of uh, competition. Uh, um, maybe his time has. You have to wait for it to come back. Um, I think something I'd want to say say about about the the, the Savile price it didn't come completely out of nowhere like 9.5 million it came in with an estimate of uh, of um 
was it two two to three million or something? Now that was um, the previous record was six point eight million. That was set four years ago, when a slightly later painting, um, similar in feeling, sold for six point eight to the Long Museum in Shanghai, and that went way over the estimate. And so, when this painting propped came up um that was the, the the reference point for the estimate and uh it went way way past um and i think you'll find that uh, these paintings of hers from like 1992 she was um just leaving uh, art school and uh, she'd been discovered by charles sarchi uh who um basically took ownership of her work, he gave her a studio and set her up. And, and, and as a result, you know, she, he owned everything she made and he paid her um, like a stipend to, to, to live off. Uh, but these paintings, um, which are the self-portraits, they're very big, fleshy nudes. Um, you know, they're not pretty pictures, but they, they were shortly to be seen she was to become uh, seen as the heir to Lucian Freud in the figurative art tradition, and also as a as a standard bearer for feminism in art, um, and um, and this helped to uh, drive the interest in her work. She was uh, later taken on by Larry Gagosian in New York, who um, pushed the prices up a bit, and. Um, and so um, they don't come up at auction very often. And so this was seen as an iconic um, painting and um, quite a rare one. Uh, so that's why there was a lot of competition. And I think the price puts her also um, very close to Damien Hurst at his peak. So for um, uh, one of the young British artists, she's she's running... Um, Hearst as a, a very close second there. Um, I, I tell you one thing that was uh, that uh, that came out in in the second part of the uh, of the Sotheby sale, and it it picked up on a a small theme that was going on at Christie's earlier on in the week was the, the strength for for some German artists. Um, um, first of all, there's an artist called Kai Althoff who was in the David Tiger sale. Um, who hasn't really sparked at auction before. And I don't actually know, I don't know the backstory on this, but um, there was a painting of his, it's slightly illustrative, slightly to me in, 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 in the mold of someone like Egon Schiele, um, but it's post-war. And uh, it's, this was done in 2002. He wants to see it all. Um, it was estimated at 80,000 pounds and it was knocked down for 470. That's with commission uh, 574,000, and that was a huge leap on the previous price. It was underbid um, by dealers like Nikolai Fram and White Cube Gallery. Um, there's something going on, so that that really took off at the beginning of the sale. Another German artist to take off was Daniel Richter, and uh, not to be confused with Gerhard and and Daniel Richter has become 
somehow very big in Asia. And um, this painting of his that was in the um, in the Sotheby's sale, it sold. It was estimated at a hundred thousand pounds, and sold for four times that. And um, there, it was bid on by Thaddeus Ropak, who's his dealer in Europe. Um, but he was totally outbid by several Asian. Um, bidders in the sale room and the uh, the guy who picked it up I gather is a, a dealer from Taiwan and um, so that was another big price um, um, for a German artist and the third big price for a German artist was actually for a work on paper by Georg Baselitz who uh, Ropak is uh, showing in his gallery in London at the moment and um, the Basilisk was from the 60s. It's from that famous series of hero paintings that he did. And um, it had come, come from a great collection in Germany and was estimated at uh, £450,000, um, which was shooting for a record that it went uh, for double that um, in, in the auction. Um, so um, it wasn't just British art. Uh, we weren't very strong on American art, I don't think, these sales. Let's talk about Christie's. Uh, so, yeah, that auction um, held before Sotheby's, and I thought one of the most interesting aspects of the e evening was some weakening maybe we saw at the top of the market. There was a Richter that was 12 to 18 million pound estimate, a Jeff Kuhn, 10 to 15 million estimate, a Mark Grochon, 6 to 8 million estimate. They all didn't sell. Um, I think this kind of shows you the risk if you have a really high valued work. If you don't get a guarantee on it, you know, there's always that possibility that it doesn't sell. Um, were these three uh, bought in lots, were these kind of the main, one of the main storylines from the sale? And what were a few other ones that you thought are uh, noteworthy? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was the, the um, that was the big storyline at, at Christie's. Uh, Christie's were aiming quite high. Um, they'd been um, trying to build up their October sales into um, major events, and they've kind of uh, sidelined their summer sales in June. Um, so they had quite a lot riding on this, um, but maybe it didn't come together in quite the way that they had hoped. Um, otherwise, it was a pretty successful sale. I think most people were saying that, you know, the failure of the the coons to sell and uh, and uh, and uh, and the and the other two big pictures was because the estimates were sim simply too high, and um, this could be this is really the takeaway uh, section of the week for for the New York sales in in November, whether um, the the ten million section of, uh, of the market is is. Um, just a, a, a bit overstretched whether there are so many people in the market now as, as there were uh, previously um, but that was generally the the, the, the the criticism after the sale was that the, the estimates were simply too high you had a Francis Bacon which sold that wasn't guaranteed as far as I know but that was uh, the top of the sale at, you know 20 million pounds that's nearly 26 million dollars um, and there was 
um, more than one bidder chasing that. Um, so, uh, again, I think that there was big news there for uh, for British art and there was big news there for German art. The um, An early Albert Erlen. Albert Erlen, um, better known as, a, as an abstract painter, um, this was a painting he painted just um, before he turned fully into abstraction. And um, um, it showed a, a, a sort of elongated bull with a square uh, frame in its stomach, um, like a picture frame. Um, and it was some kind of comment on, on the act of painting. Um, but it sparked off a, a big um, uh, bidding contest. Interestingly, you had, I've rarely seen him in an auction before, but um, um, Erlen's European dealer, Max Hessler, who's just opened a gallery in London, was there. And um, also the representatives of Gagosian, who, who took on Albert Erlen in New York um, just a few years ago. So you, there was um, a, a sense of uh, of a competition going on there uh, for this piece, and uh, it sold for uh, uh, estimated eight hundred thousand pounds. It sold for three point six million pounds. That's four point seven million dollars. And um, Max Hetzler turned out to be the winning bidder. Um, so that was quite a big. Uh, um, event I think in that in that auction there was another painting by Erlen that also that Gagosian bid on but he, he he didn't get it it was a more uh, uh, a more usual abstract painting from the late 80s um, and that um, was estimated at one million and sold for three um, so there's uh, you know there are pockets of activity going on all over the place and so, yeah, so if we look at the sale, the Sotheby's, Christie's, Phillips, just looking at things um, in general, are there some major, would you say, takeaways, especially speaking to insiders in the marketplace, about where the art market is right now um, after Freeze Week, um, you know, as we look ahead to, you know, FIAC and then the November sales? Well, I'd say that, that, that generally, I mean, the, 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 the auctions, um, and we, we include Phillips in, in this. They made something like uh, 260 million. If you take away the the buyer's commission, that's uh, near to the just above the low estimate. That's, that's not too bad. It's not you know it, it's um, if, if Christie's hadn't failed with those top three lots, uh, maybe it would have looked a bit better. Um, some resistance, then I guess at, at the top end of the market is what I'd say. Um, um, what to me is interesting is the way that um, the Christie Sotheby's um, schedule is working out. The way that Christie's um, abandoned their June sales two years ago and um, are stacking everything on their October sales. Uh, uh, um, I can't remember if I said this already, but um, that so Christie's are, are stacking everything into October, 
and um, Sotheby's are just playing it as normal, um, holding a bigger sale in June and a smaller sale in October. So you can't compare like for like. You can't say, hey, Christie's, they took 145 million last week. Sotheby's only 83 million, you know, so who's kind of winning the game here? Um, it doesn't, it's not working like that. They can't compare like for like because then you go back to June and it's the same story but the other way around. So what they're having to do, the bean counters of Christie's have made this change. Uh, they're having to say, is it working? Is this strategy working? Um, and if you look, if you, if you, if you um, add up the sale totals for both houses in June and October, you'll see actually, um, although Christie's came out ahead in October, if you if you include the June sales, uh, Sotheby's are actually head by about 50 million. So Christie's be wondering whether this um, tactic of um, gambling everything on freeze week is 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 working. Freeze week was always the, the, the week for um, not big ticket sales. This is for for the people who are coming to buy art on the primary market. At the, at the freeze uh, uh, art fair and and not looking to spend tens of millions um, but Christie's are trying to up the game and, and maybe they're looking at the freeze masters uh, fair which has more expensive items in it and that they're attracting collectors who are prepared to spend more I don't know but um, uh, um, I think uh, you we may see some revision taking place. And the other area where um, the like-for-like like isn't working is in the Italian art sales. And the Italian art sales, which began in, in the 90s, have been a regular event during October uh, for London. Um, but this year, Sotheby's pulled out completely and Christie's stayed in it. Uh, Christie's ran up 40 million uh, with a sale of Italian art, which was... Um, Okay, just about uh, round about the low estimate, but Sotheby's didn't hold one because last year they had very poor results, difficulty in putting the sale together, and um, maybe the Italian market is 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 uh, cooling off a little bit, um, and we'll wait and see next year um, whether the Italian sales are, are back uh, in both houses or not, but. Um, it's it's, uh, it's an interesting period because the, the two serums are not reflecting each other exactly. They're, they're working at, at different pace at different times with different emphases. So they're harder to analyze. Colin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and taking us inside the Sotheby's sale room and what it was like to uh, see the Banksy uh, self destruct uh, as well as uh, sharing your recaps and analysis on the uh, freeze auction sales. Um, our listeners can, of course, check out all of your writings on Artnet as well as the Daily Telegraph, and you're also on Twitter, um, often tweeting your articles out. Um, if our listeners don't follow you there already, they should. What's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, just at Colin Gladell. Perfect. Colin, thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. Okay, Adam. Thanks.